This is the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the best tactical and statistical analysis of Liverpool FC. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Analyzing Anfield, your tactics and analytics podcast, courtesy of the Blood Red channel. I'm Josh Williams and I'm joined by David Hughes. Dave, how's things, mate? Good, thanks, mate. Uh, yeah, good. How are you? A little bit worse, I don't, because uh, obviously we've suffered a weekend defeat. Oh, yeah. Uh, not too great. And then we go into the international break, so we're going to sit on it for two weeks. Um, but as usual, typical analysing and field fashion, we have done a bit of a different route for the international break podcast. Uh, so we usually do a QA, and uh, and we did kind of hint that last week as a potential. But just to mix it up, what we've done this week, those who have signed up to the newsletter will already already be aware of this, but we've sent out the for, for a, a request line, basically, and we've asked for people to send in the names of players or coaches, past, present, rivals, Liverpool, whatever, uh, that they want to be discussed on the podcast. So I only sent it out yesterday. Um, we're recording on the Wednesday, sent it out on the Tuesday. We've got a fair few responses to get through. So, yeah, we're going to see how it goes, see how the podcast goes. We haven't done one like this before. So, yeah, hopefully it'll be decent. But before we get started, Dave, mm. we have to touch just quickly. Just let, Let's just summarise and we'll thoughts on what went wrong um, against West Ham. Um. Yeah, you know, it was a difficult game as we predicted. West Ham, very good side. I think if people were doubting that before we touched on them last week, they won't be now. Um, you know, they're more than kind of worthy for where they are in the league, which is now, you know, above, above Liverpool. Um, you know, a bit of a little surprise, wouldn't expect at that start of the season, but quite a chaotic game. Um, Liverpool, not really, not really at the best. I think it's fair to say set pieces. It was flagged last week, wasn't it, Josh? And it, it proved to be a downfall. Um, yeah, e- even game that I suppose you could could have gone either way, but obviously the chances are converted by West Ham, and, and that proved the uh, difference, I should say. Yeah, I was I was really really impressed with West Ham. Must be honest, I thought they were very difficult to play against from start to finish. Um, but I think Klopp summed it up pretty well after the game. You know, despite the emotion attached to the game, I think he he was able to analyse the game pretty pretty easily and he said that you know first half we were relatively okay obviously we conceded an early goal direct from a corner which is crazy you know it doesn't really happen usually um but Liverpool played relatively okay obviously we found a net with with a strength free kick and we've got it 1-1 and I think Klopp said you know we we had the match where we wanted it to be really you know 1-1 no problem absolutely fine but we started forcing it I think we were a bit too keen to get the second, to get the lead. Um, and I think we lost control, and I think that's a bit of a recurring theme with Liverpool's season so far. And I think just generally looking at Liverpool, although Liverpool's numbers are generally good, and it's the second best in the league at the minute, I think alongside Manchester City, and Liverpool's numbers do suggest that they'll win the large majority of matches. But at the same time, looking at Liverpool's first 11 games as a sample you know, as a whole type thing. I'm not sure that Liverpool are demonstrating the control to win a title. Um, don't get me wrong, it's, it's going to be very easy to establish that control if you start playing with 
you know, Fabinho and Thiago in the midfield every single week, for example, probably alongside Henderson or Harvey Elliott when he's fit and stuff. But just looking at those 11 games as a sample, I'm not sure Liverpool have offered the console that you need over the course of a 38-game season to win the title at the end. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Dave? Is going to be yeah, too harsh or... No, no, not at all. Um, <clears throat> if things were to continue out how they are now, um, and this is a comment based on performance as opposed to looking at the league table, um, I wouldn't uh, anticipate that Liverpool would win the Premier League. Um which you know may seem a little bit drastic, but just based on what we're seeing, crunch some kind of basic numbers through the week, looking at things like uh, equalizers, conceded and, and stuff, and trying to compare it to that nineteen twenty uh, campaign because obviously that was the title winning one, and although it's difficult to replicate, I know that's the gold standard. Um, we did at times this season, or have done, thought that Liverpool are on that track. Maybe not as good, but certainly showing signs of that team. But you know that that season, Liverpool conceded six equalising goals all campaign. Um, they've already conceded five this season, and we're not even a quarter of the way through the season. Uh, so, I think it, we're using the term control, aren't we, Josh? I think that's a big indicator that uh, Liverpool aren't controlling games as well as they have been. Okay, I know that it was West Ham who scored first on Sunday, but just in general, uh, I don't think they've been. Um, controlling games in the same way when they've when they've been taking leads and um, they've been a little bit erratic all over the pitch really, and it's it, it's kind of costing them. Yeah, just just to provide a little bit of context on what I mean there. So so far this season, Liverpool have played, I think, sixteen, seventeen games in all competitions, and I think so far we've seen out of them games we've already seen I think six six examples of a bit of a recurring theme that does not indicate title winners, really. Um, And I think those six examples for me are AC Milan. I think Liverpool obviously went 2-0 up, I think, or or 1-0 up, really dominating the game. Ended up winning 3-2, don't get me wrong, but conceded two out of nowhere to Milan. Brentford, obviously, finished 3-3. Liverpool had leads in that game, ended up going a bit chaotic. City 2-2. Again, Liverpool had the lead twice, I think, in that game. Atletico Madrid away. Liverpool had a 2-0 lead in that game. Brighton. Liverpool had a 2-0 lead in that game. Ended up finishing 2-2. And then more recently, West Ham. So, out of Liverpool's 16-17 games so far this season, there's already been six matches that suggest, listen, the title's going to be tough. Um, Now, don't get me wrong, I think it's definitely doable. And as I said, this is very, very easy to fix. We could be speaking... It's, it's November 10th today. We could be speaking on Christmas Day with Liverpool top of the league and Liverpool have resolved this. You know, it's very very easy to fix, especially at Liverpool's level. But just so far, you, you need to resolve some of the issues that seem to keep re- reoccurring. And I think uh, a lot of it can be attributed to the lack of control that, in my opinion, stems a little bit from the midfield and just all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I don't want to be too harsh. I don't want to get carried away or anything like that, but just so far, I think it's fair to look at the season as a whole and think, right, we're going to need a bit better than that, I think. I agree, especially because of how competitive the division is this year as well. Um, I know uh, yeah. Chelsea, Chelsea dropped points, didn't he? But um, it was I a draw. Pro- yeah, I should probably say that what, what I'm saying here, I, I'm, this is in, in reference to 
the fact that we're facing probably two of the best English sides, you know, arguably ever. I mean, certainly in City and Chelsea are still proving it, but they look really, really good. Hmm. So in a in normal Premier League season, like a decade ago, Liverpool probably still have enough. But I I mean in the modern day, yeah, as you say, based on the uh, the opponents. Yeah, I'd agree, definitely. Um, yeah, if you if you look at the expected goals on the day, Liverpool finished with one point four and West Ham finished with one. Um, so that does suggest that it was probably a little bit of an off day for Allison, and I think that's fair to say. I do think that I've seen a few people say this, and I do agree. I think that even though Liverpool weren't at their usual level, I do think if Allison has one of his usual games, I think Liverpool probably win win the game. To be honest, um, him conceding from a cor- direct from a corner, I think, is extremely uncharacteristic. Then he concedes from a one v one with Pablo Fornals, but Pablo Fornals scores with a weaker foot. Mm. Um, I don't think Allison governed that one v one like he usually does. And then the kids zoom ahead. It's a, it's a good set piece, but. It's, I mean, the angle kids who scoring from the ball can only go in one, in one area, really. Um, and I think for it to go through Allison's hands, I think just kind of summed up his day. So, still the best keeper in the, in the league, in my opinion. But in terms of what what can happen when your keeper has an off day, you know, this was a perfect example, really. Yeah. Um, the only justification is, I suppose, he's, he's kind of certainly in, say, those 1v1 situations. I mean, the corners... The corner, the the third one is uh, is difficult because it all happens so quickly, doesn't it? Uh, the first one, you'd say, yeah, got obviously got to do better. You know, it's not it's not hard to, to, to see that. Um, the second one, yeah, the the sorry, the one v one was was again poor by his standards, but he's kind of made so many crucial saves in those situations this season that the the, the, the scales are certainly um, tipped towards his favour in that regard. Um, but just a reminder to try and avoid those situations if possible, because you can't always rely on your goalkeeper to, to to pull you out of the bag and you know to 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 keep it out of his net. Sometimes things like that can't happen when you're facing shots on goal. Um, so it was just another timely reminder that Liverpool could do with just maybe sharpening up defensively. Uh, whether that is as we touched on last week, uh, in part with the midfield or whether the, the defence alone, it's. It will be a mixture of both, but we did say, didn't we, last week the defensive numbers looked a little bit below what you'd expect from Liverpool and, and obviously conceding a big 1v1 chance, that leads to a goal. Yeah, just to round up, I think on the positive side, one thing I will say is the season's been going for a few months now. As I said, Liverpool have played about 16, 17 games in all competitions. This was Liverpool's first loss. Um Despite Liverpool's performances that I've just been mentioning in certain games where there's been a little bit lack in control, Liverpool still haven't lost any of those games. Now, I think the fact that we've now finally suffered a defeat against West Ham, I think in the long run, or certainly even short term, I think could benefit Liverpool in terms of being a bit of the... That's a bit of a turning point, um, a bit of like a... Right, looking at the mirror moment because, as I said, Liverpool have still been picking up points, still been winning a large majority of games, and the, the bad games, the really bad games like City, Brentford, we've been drawn. So, for Liverpool to finally suffer a defeat, maybe it'll be a bit of a kick up the backside, basically, um, and maybe it'll um, give Liverpool a bit of a boost once the international break ends and Liverpool go on then a bit of a uh, a fixture run 
between now and you know what is it March until the next next England break. Yeah, yeah, and obviously the Oracle will take a back seat as well, won't for a couple of months uh, in between Christmas and February time, which you know could benefit having a few fewer games. Um, we'll have to wait and see. Tough game though to come back to, I must say. Uh, although it's Ireland Field, it's it's Arsenal, isn't it? And weirdly, yeah, Josh, go on. No, go on. I was going to say they've kind of uh, drifted under the radar a little bit. I know performances have been a little bit beige at times, but you know, obviously, we do a little bit of stuff on Arsenal, don't we? Uh, between us, and I'd look yesterday, and you know, no one's picked up more points since they got beat five 0 against City in the Premier League than them. You know, more than City, Chelsea, Liverpool, and um, they haven't been beat in ten matches across all competitions. Like it's, it's probably. Although I still fancy Liverpool, it's uh, it's it's one of the tougher fixtures you probably come back to, into. Yeah, yeah, it'll be a nice one to preview. Um, but I think I think the fact that it's a tough fixture, you know, potentially that alongside the fact that Liverpool have just lost, I would not be surprised if Liverpool come out against Arsenal and they're absolutely on it. Um, mm-hmm. And hopefully that's that sets a bit of a theme then for the rest of the season. But yeah, we'll see how we go. Anyway, it's. it's Still early days, 11, 11 matches into the season, I think it is. So, still plenty of games left. Lots, Liverpool still only four points, I think it is, off the top. Um, so, you know, every chance we can still win it and all that sort of stuff. But I think certain moments now, six of those games out of the 16, 17 so far, Liverpool can look at that now, I think, and be like, right, this is where we need to improve. We know what we know what, we know what the issue is. It's not the attack. I don't think it's uh, without the ball and... Sometimes when you're using the ball in the midfield and how you can lose it in certain moments and it results in chaotic moments rather than control. Um, so, yeah, we'll move on, Dave, to, to the theme of today's show. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. So, yeah. we're just going to go one, one by one through the requests sent in by our listeners. Um Rather than taking one each, I think we're both just going to have general opinions on every player slash coach who's been listed. Uh, so we'll start, Dave, I'll start with the first one. Uh, Stephen Ward has sent in Rafinha. Uh, nice start. Mm-hmm. Thoughts on Rafinha, Dave? Yeah, look, it's, a, it's, it's, it's quite a fitting one, given that we're on a Liverpool podcast, because... Um, <clears throat> Although we haven't seen many concrete links between the two, um, the links come from the fact that so many can see being an ideal kind of Liverpool player. Um, you know, left-footed, thrilling attacker, um, tops a ton of performance metrics, uh, attacking metrics, um, leads as star player by far, uh, really good age. He seems to just be improving week by week. Um, you know, he's a big Premier League name now and he kind of looks ideal, an ideal person. You could slot into the Liverpool attack and uh, he could have a a big positive impact. Um, so I'm not surprised he's been he's been touted. Yeah, I mean, I, people who, who follow me and stuff will know that I'm a big fan of him. I think he's a very, very good player. Uh, very, very Klopp player as well, to be honest. I posted a little viz recently. It wasn't my viz, it was a, a post from, I think it was Jamie Kemp, who wrote for Opta. And... Um, it was, it was a physical metrics. You know, we don't get access to physical metrics that generally tricky to get your hands on. So it was, it was looking. Up, I always say Rafinha is very intense, and this was kind of 
where I was getting that from. I, it was nice to see a visualise using metrics, but it was, I think it was sprints per 90 and something like final third movements per 90 or so. I can't remember exactly what it was. But Rafinha was totally total outlier, completely on his own um, compared to players of a similar type. Um, just showcasing that physically when it comes to the running he does off, specifically off the ball. He is a monster, Rafinha, and obviously he works very, very hard, very suited to Marcelo Bielsa's system, and um, that's very intense, very pressing-orientated. And Rafinha, I think, is is extremely creative as well, while also offering a, a scoring threat. So far this season, I, I think he's scored, I think he's on five goals so far this season. I think there's only about three players who scored more than him. Um, but he just looks like a really top player. I think I, I think he looks like he's right on the cusp of making, you know, the the, the leap, if you like, you know, that, that leap that a player makes from good, solid performer with lots of potential to that top bracket. I think mm. he, he, he's shown to me that he's on the verge of making that leap. And I tweeted a few weeks ago and got a few dodgy responses because of what I was what I was insinuating maybe, but I tweeted that if huge if capital letters Salah was to leave the club at any point. I think Rafinha is a, a very, very well suited replacement for him. Uh, the kind of the next in line with with the intention that Rafinha will hopefully follow a similar path to Salah. Obviously there's the caveat there that he doesn't score as often as Salah does but I think it's going to be really, really difficult to find a left-footed player who, who, who does, you know. Um, also, he, you know, he gets less chances to do so, doesn't he, compared to at Liverpool, there would be a, a kind of sizing up of his output if he goes to a team who create more chances like Liverpool do. Yeah, I mean, he's got five goals so far this season, as I said, in, in, in 10 appearances. So a goal every two games for Leeds so far this season, that's not bad, that. I know last season he only scored six, got nine assists. But um, I think specifically in the assist department, I think he was let down a lot by his teammates. So I think he's got a, he's a type of player who if he was to put in Liverpool, I would be intrigued to see how he performs. But it's one to watch anyway. But I think he he, he could be a player that Liverpool are keeping, a, keeping an eye on, to be honest. Mm. Go next he's in the Premier League, isn't he? Um, yeah, exactly, yeah. Nick... Nick McMillan, uh, Gary Littman. <laughs> I thought you fell over while you were saying that then. <laughs> I did stub my toe actually, but I was trying to blend it, but clearly you weren't letting me. Um, Gary Littman, do you remember them, Josh? Yeah, I do. I had, um, I mean, this is when I was young, this, but I had a uh, season review DVD um, of like. No, I thought, no, I thought you were going to say. Uh, yeah, I had them on my top or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I had a season review DVD of like the 2001 season or something. And Lippmann was was it was in that basically and very insistent player, but uh, I think I think now although although he's a, he was obviously a, a very clever player and I think he was Liverpool's version of of Cantona and and Bergkamp and that wasn't he. But I must admit, if that if Liverpool did that deal today, it would be one that I would would not look on favourably. I I would disapprove of it today simply because of you know the age he was bought and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean the obvious one as well, which seemed to plague not only his Liverpool career and um, this was wider career really was the fact he was 
very injury prone, wasn't he? he? Had he had injury issues that just kind of maybe stopped them being there. Because I mean, if I'm being totally honest with you, I don't remember watching a lot of them at that age. No, I was very young, Liverpool player. We all know I wasn't a Liverpool fan, so why would I be? Um, but you did still, obviously, it was on my doorstep. You still take taking in consideration, you know, what you made to talk about on the schoolyard and stuff, and um, really good technical play, but just always seemed to be injured. Um, you know, never seemed to get run on the side. Yeah, I mean, based on his two seasons at Liverpool in the Premier League, in his first season, he scored one assisted one. And in his second season, he scored four assisted one. And then he moved to Ajax. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's not the best spell, is it? But I do think he was... He was kind of Liverpool's answer at that time to that player who started to play in the hole of a um, of a of a of a bank of four, if you know what I mean. So mm-hmm. obviously four four two was very in fashion at that point, and it started to become a bit of a trend for you know of of your front two players. You have one who is a bit more of a poacher, and you have one who's a bit more of a ten who drops into the space between the lines of a four four two. Obviously, United had Cantona, you had Bergkamp. A uh, few other examples, I think maybe you could throw Gianfranco Zola in there, maybe. Um, but Liverpool went for that type of player at the time, very trendy at the time. Liverpool's play with Um Not a bad sign in terms of if you're after that type of player, but just a few years too late and things. And he was a Julio signing, wasn't he? I think so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think he was. And when he came, I think the general perception was that he was going to be really good, but... I mean, if you watch if you watch compilations of him on YouTube and that, you, you've got a good highlight reel, put it that way. But um, in terms of signing him at that age, and I mean, I suppose Liverpool, uh, there was a few signings in the Premier League when you know players who were getting on. I think I'm not sure how old Cantona was when he went to United, but I think Zola was getting on when he went to Chelsea and stuff like that. So I think Liverpool maybe had hopes for it, but just didn't really go that well. Mm. Mm. Uh, so next request. This was a popular one. This was the most requested. So we had four people ask for this one. Again, Stephen Ward, uh, Peter Aganmose, Irvine Nadu, and Achore Chujo all asked for Eves Basuma. Dave, do you think that's got anything to do with Liverpool lacking control lately <laughs> in, the, in the midfield department? Potentially. You know, you're looking at a, you're, we're talking about a midfield who's highly rated. Um, it's been linked with a lot of top clubs. You can understand why, because he's had quite an impact at Brighton. Um, you know, he's a top-class midfielder, already proven in the Premier League. I mean, how can you describe him? He's energetic, he's robust. Um, you know, he's great at basically stopping sides attacking through the middle. You know, he's 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 great at covering space. Um, he's a strong tackler, good interceptions, everything like that. But... Something that I think he does that's a little bit underrated is he's uh, he's all right on the ball as well. He's quite decent. You know, he's not a headline grabbing in terms of goals and assists, but that's that's because where he plays on the pitch. Uh, but I think he has got an eye for the pass. He can he can um, you know intercept the ball and get it going the other way quickly, uh, which I think sometimes players in those positions maybe don't have that that side of the game. That's you know that added skill. Uh, but I think he's got that, and he's just a. He's a really well-rounded player in that position. And I know Liverpool have been linked. Uh, United have been heavily linked. I think he'd be a fantastic sign for them um, because I think they're missing the profile similar to that. 
at least Liverpool have like I know he's I know he's injured, but at least Liverpool have a, a player like Fabinho. But um, United don't. It'd be a good move for them. But in an ideal world, from Liverpool perspective, it'd be great if they got in there first. Yeah, still twenty five years old. Um, as you said, really good um, numbers, particularly on the defensive side of the game. And I think just on the ball, he's just really difficult to dispossess. I think he's quite reliable and um, quite press resistant, um, confidence on the dribble and things like that. Uh, a few people asked for comparable players to him. Um, now, statistically comparable players, according to FB Rep's similar players model that we, we, we flag every now and then. I'm not sure I entirely agree with something, to be honest. Um, so top is a fella called Wallace for Udinese. I'm not aware of him. Second is Mario Lamina, who used to be at Southampton. I can see a little bit there. Um, Luka oh, yeah. Milovojevic is in there. I'm not too sure about that one. Analyzing Anfield on the Blood Red Channel. Harrison Reed. <laughs> Harrison Reed, yeah. I mean, mm, no. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. got the same kind of physical profile him as he read. No, I think he's a bit like navigated in many ways. Um, mm. and I think maybe uh, Zambo and Gisa, who played for Fulham, mm. I think he's a bit like him, just in terms of offering that he, he puts a foot in without the ball, you know, regains possession fairly frequently and things, but and when he's on the ball, he's just quite confident, difficult to dispossess as all those sorts of things. I think there's generally a few of them midfielders around. Um but yeah, you know, he's been touted for moves to Arsenal and things like that. And I think if he's if he's gonna move it's it's gonna be it's gonna be soon, isn't it? Because he's twenty five years old now and it's been touted for a while, but I'm not sure how long his contract runs for. I'm um, almost certain he will get he'll move in the summer. Yeah. His contract runs until yeah, twenty twenty three. So this this summer he'll have a year left on it. So if he's going to get sold, it's going to be this summer, isn't it? Mm, yeah. I wonder what he'd go for uh, with a year left on his contract because in the summer there was like forty plus mil, fifty mil being talked about. I do wonder whether you get a bit of a more not a bargain, but if you maybe get something a little bit cheaper. Yeah. Um, just thinking of that, I think it's. I I would suspect in the region of. 20 to 40, somewhere in between that, I would guess. Uh, I don't think you can expect more than 40 for a player who's got one year left. I suppose it gets a little bit more messy in that, you know, we've just listed our three or four clubs who'd be interested in them, so, you know, that could exactly. be a potential bidding war, couldn't it, which bumps it up. Yeah, exactly. One, one other thing with him that's worth flagging, he is generally uh, available fairly often. Uh, last season, he, he started 35 of the 38 league matches featured in 36 of them um, so yeah he's, he's generally a decent player and I, I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up at a top 6 club sometime soon um, so yeah who's next Dave? Yeah Mike Wilson next oh uh, this yeah. is a good one yeah <laughs> it's an age old debate um, Gerard versus Lampard that's it that's all he says um, which you know has been discussed many a time I mean, I'll just fly right in, Josh, and then I'll open the floor because I'm keen to see what <laughs> you'd actually say. Because maybe we had this conversation in the office, I can't remember. But um, it's it's funny when I look at them. You know, it feels like they can, they're always compared because of 
they came through at the same time, both midfielders playing for big clubs, loads of battles between them over the years. But I always I always feel like if I could try and summarise it really quickly, um, I've just gone completely off, you know, what comes to my mind. I, I, I feel like Gerard was just always more aggressive, you know, a more aggressive player, more robust, a bit between his teeth, you know, a stronger tackler, um, really intense as a player. Um, like when you just think of, when you th- say the names in your head and you think of both, both players, while seeing Gerard is flying into tackles, picking the ball up, running from deep, driving at defensive, hitting shots from distance, you know, all these kind of things that we got used to seeing from him week by week. Whereas with Lampard, although he could put a tackle in, you know, he, he could carry the ball, of course he could. I always felt he, um, he was maybe a little bit more, he didn't have that same edge that Gerard had, but to his credit, he was maybe a little bit better from a technical point of view. Um, as a midfielder, um, yeah, I don't really know. I don't know if we expect to say who, who was better. I think that's really tough to say. Yeah, it's a it's a very interesting debate. I would actually disagree with what you've just said in terms of Lampard being technically better. Mm-hmm. I would say Gerard is technically better than Lampard. Um, I think Lampard is more attack minded. I think he's more of a I mean, when you think of Lampard, you think of goals. And so it it's really, really I think Lampard's brilliant. I, I really rate Lampard very, very highly, to be honest. I rate him above Skulls. Um and I think if you if you had Lampard in your team in those years, if you he had a massive difference on your on your ability to win games just because of the, the goal difference impact he had on, on his own. You know, a, a midfielder who was always available and uh, scored that frequently. You know, such an offensive threat and really good off the ball. So did Gerard though, didn't he? Especially in those late noughties. Yeah, but I view Gerard as just complete. Just a total all-rounder. Um, you, you put Gerard at right-back, he shines. You put him at centre-half, he does a job. You put him as a number 10, he drives. You put him as a left-mid, he'll do a job. He, he, can, he can play anywhere. Um, I think there's a... But it was a bit of criticism, criticism early in his, in his career when he was uh, a little bit tactically naive, and I think he just he, he he was so industrious and and had such kind of desire and passion on the pitch that he just kind of chased the ball almost. And I think when Rafa came in, I think Rafa showed him when and when not to do certain things. I think Rafa improved him a lot tactically, but just generally as an individual player. I think Gerard. I I would have Gerard over Lampard personally, and I, I, I don't think I'm biased in saying. I don't think that's coming from me just being a Liverpool fan. I just think Gerard is a lot more of a complete player, more skills to use in the team, and I think Gerard's capable of of contributing equally well to a team that's really good as well as a team that's just bang average. Whereas I think if you put, for example, Lampard in some of them Liverpool teams. And even at Skulls and some of them Liverpool teams, I don't think they, they have anywhere near the difference that Gerard did. I think Gerard won games on his own. Gerard was a you know, he was different level at times. He, I think he was described by uh, by Lampard actually as a force. And yeah, I think that's and, that's a know, good that's way of describing what Gerard was. Like, you know, I felt like he had he had that more aggressive edge to his game. You know, he had that more 
he was more ferocious and things. Um, I don't know. I just I can't shake. I, I think you make a fair point, but I just can't shake that. Thought Lampard just felt like he was a little bit more pleasing on the eye. I guess I don't know. Tech, tech, technician wise, and I know Gerard could do unbelievable things. You know, so back here. I was going to say just just on that then. Just so would you would you rank Lampard above Gerard when it comes to passing? No, no, I wouldn't. Uh, I'm trying to think what I would rank. Uh, to, to try and elaborate more. I don't know. I just feel like. Are you thinking like first touch, close control? Yeah, like yeah, maybe, maybe more close things where it's just a little bit slower, I guess. Where for me, and maybe it's it was just the way Gerard was. It was also it was also quick, direct, and it, Lampard just looked a little bit more. I don't know, slower, a bit of an elegance to his game. But I don't know if that's necessarily criticism to Gerard. I think it was just he played different. Although they, both midfielders, they played differently. And even for the clubs, they played different roles. You know, you said Chelsea there, they were, let's be honest, they were probably a better side than Liverpool most of, the time, most of that period. A uh, better football team. Um, Liverpool maybe a little bit more direct. I, I, I don't know. I'm just going off how I how I see both players playing the ball as I'm talking now. And just no. more, whenever I think of Gerrard, I just think aggressive, direct. You know, making things yeah. happen. I just feel like Lampard's just a little bit more composed, maybe a little bit more pleasing on the eye, which is the the point to talk about technical wise. But I'm I'm just a little bit conscious now that it looks like I'm doing Gerard a disservice when I know he's a, a player who you know play like forty <laughs> yard balls onto your toe. Um, no, no, I know I know more about what you mean now. To be honest, yeah. I do know what you mean. I think when when you when you watch Gerard, as you said, it it is very direct. It's very forceful. Um, that, that type of thing. Well, I don't know what you mean. When it comes to Lampard, he didn't have maybe as much of a physical and aggressive skill set as Gerard. So mm-hmm. I think his game was a lot more maybe controlled, you know, elegant. Um, mm-hmm. That's and I know what you mean, but yeah. I, I, I think technical in terms of, you know, what, what I would consider technique to be, I, I would probably rank Gerard above Lampard. Um I think the latter summary that we were just saying then is probably a, a more accurate one of the points I'm trying to make. Because yeah. I uh, I don't want to give the perception I don't think Gerard was a, a good technical player. He was uh, he was unbelievable. Um, yeah, it was just the the differences in how they play. I I wonder, you know, there's a question for you, right? Do you think the 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 peak Mourinho team, right? This is around the time Mourinho was trying for Gerard. I wonder if you'd have said to Mourinho at the time, you can have Gerard if you swap him for Lampard. I wonder if he'd have he'd have jumped on that because obviously mm-hmm. Lampard was massive for Mourinho, and but Mourinho was also a massive fan of Gerard. Really wanted Gerard at Chelsea, and Gerard maybe wouldn't score as many as Lampard, but he would offer, I think, more off the ball, more defensively, and things. Uh, what do you think on that? Are you asking what well I well I do or what we think he would have done? Well, I suppose the both. Oh, no, I think you don't you don't have to answer that one, but I think I suppose the question that's been sent in by the listener is Gerard versus Lampard. So I suppose we should conclude the debate a little bit with I suppose who would you pick? You know, if you if you're a coach and you're about to construct a squad and you have to start with either Gerard or Lampard, who are you picking? Well, Gerard for me, obviously, I think he's a 
for the reasons that we just stated. Uh, but um, specifically, just before we move on, I do think about that Chelsea side, and you know, I, I try and think about what they were like. Uh, they were quite a controlling team, weren't they? Um, you know, the league they, they won the league that year. Was it 04? Um, conceding something like 15 goals all season, which is pretty insane when you think about it now. I think it's the lowest ever in the Premier League era. It is crazy, isn't it? Yeah. So you do kind of think, going back to the, everything we've just said, who do you have in that side? You know, would, would Gerrard, although fantastic, would he disrupt it a little bit? Or even worse, would being in that side disrupt his game compared to what he was able to do at Liverpool? Yeah, no, it's a good question. It's an interesting one. Um, I'm just getting up Mourinho Chelsea now, um, just to see who he actually had in the centre midfield at times. Go on, I'll have a look um, at now. Yeah, so mind you, we had Essien. I mean, Essien, uh, looking at that, he had a midfield trio there of Mahaleli, Lampard, and Essien. Usually, mm. I would suspect that Gerard would play the Essien role, but then Essien was massive for them at the time. So. Yeah. Maybe he did have the balance, and maybe Lampard was better suited to that team at the time. Um, but it's an interesting one. But just as a as a side note for this, a little bit of a segue. Gerard's obviously getting linked with Aston Villa in a managerial capacity. Thoughts? Uh, I think he'll he'll be up for that job. Actually, uh, I think you know he's he's obviously a. Well, do you think he should? Be up for that up for that job. Um, I, probably yeah. You know, I, I I don't know if you're 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 on the other side of the fence and maybe bring a bit of balance to this, but I think it's it's going into the Premier League. Okay, he's got to face that daunting thing of coming up against Liverpool. Something I imagine he definitely wouldn't enjoy. Uh, but if you kind of look at maybe Rogers as a as an example, you know, he goes to he goes to Celtic. Um, he wins a lot there. He becomes a very successful manager, learns a lot, I imagine, and then he goes down to Leicester. And if you think of that uh, career trajectory, it's kind of similar, isn't it? Celtic to Leicester, Rangers to Villa. Um, I don't think it'd be an easy job, but I think it wouldn't be a bad job to maybe get some experience in the Premier League before inevitably coming at Liverpool some someday in the future. Yeah, I actually think it's 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 a good job for them. I think. It, oh dear, uh, I'm not yeah. sure if you're going to be on the other side. To be no, honest, I, no. To, looking at it, really, I don't think he can really ask for better. To be honest, he's got a Scottish title under his belt now. Um, been there a few years and things. And I think if he's going to have any sort of shot at Liverpool in 2024, if he wants that shot, he's going to need a job in the big five leagues, in my opinion. Um. Now, we can't speak any other language as far as I'm aware, apart from English. So it's probably going to be in the Premier League. And then if you look at the Premier League, he's not going to take any of the jobs in the top six. And you don't really want a job for the bottom ten. So he kind of wants a club in the region of like Leicester, Everton. Obviously, Everton's no goer. Newcastle, possibly. But yeah, I'm not really too keen on that one, to be honest, personally. Mm. But I think Villa... I think Villa always been relatively admired by Liverpool's fan base. I think anyway. I mean, I've never had any sort of issue with them. I've always liked them as a club, and I think Villa are too good to get squad wise to get sucked into any relegation battle. So I don't mm. think he'd have any issues regarding relegation. So I think 
you could argue that like the worst finish Gerard could have really, in my opinion, is probably like thirteenth, fourteenth, mm. or something like that. Whereas if he does a decent job, he he can be pushing like sixth, and if he's pushing sixth, it, it, in the in the eyes of many, he, he's done a great job. I think. Yeah. So it's an it's I think generally their squad building over the years has been, I think it can improve, but it's been decent. You know, you look at Ollie Watkins, Leon Bailey, they've just got in Emmy Buendia, Matty Cash, Emmy Martinez, uh, SD Conce, John McGinn. They've got a decent, you know, a decent core yeah. that he can work with. I think it's a little bit messy at the minute. I think Smith lost his way a little bit and he's had a few injuries and things, but I think there's a general makeup there for Gerard to come in and do quite well. Um, obviously, we've talked about his numbers in Scotland a lot. They're not going to be like the numbers in Scotland because he's, he's taking charge of Aston Villa. But what gives me a lot of hope that he'll do well is that whenever his Rangers team have had to face comparable level opposition in Europe, they've generally fared quite well and they've been really difficult to beat. Mm. So I think he might do quite well at Villa. I'm really intrigued to follow him. I think we'll speak about him quite often if he does make that move because, you know, I'll be watching him on match of the day every week and things like that and getting the numbers for him. So hopefully it's a move he makes. Analyzing Anfield. On the Blood Red channel. So I've got a request from Mohammed Chothia. Uh, Connor Cody. Uh, thoughts on Cody, Dave? Yeah, it's, I mean, strong, solid defender um, in terms of kind of in that Wolves setup. I mean, it's a little bit different now, but we talk about traditionally what Wolves have been since they come to the Premier League. Um, he's looked good, but. And we, I think we've covered this before. You know, he's he's kind of well protected normally in a back three. Uh, a team who sit relatively deep inside their own half when they're defending. Um, a lot of the play in front of him doesn't get turned much, doesn't have to do much running behind, um, which suits him. You know, if you drop him in the Liverpool back line, I think it becomes a little bit problematic. You know, having to defend high up the pitch, uh, having to deal more with balls in behind, loads of space to defend. I think... It become a little bit more of a problem for him there, but yeah, I think he's had a really good club. He'd be wise to maybe just stay there, <laughs> just stay there and continue being a good player at that at, at that level at that club. Yeah, I would agree, and I think that's that's the big problem with Cody, in my opinion. He, in my opinion, Premier League level, he has to play in a back three. I don't, I don't think he can he can get on the pitch otherwise. And I think there's no coincidence that Bruno Lages came in and he's changed playing style a lot. I think. But he's, he's kept the back three, and I think it's because Cody just he, he needs it because he's as a centre back he's not the most physical, he's not the most mobile, um, not very good in the air, but he's he's very good on the ball and he's a talker, um, big organizer, big captain for them. So to accommodate him, you play a back three, and I think Wolves. I don't think we, Wolves will move away from a back three until Cody comes out the side. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think in terms of that, he was six a little bit. But as a person and as a player, I think he's I think he's brilliant. Um, you know, I wish him luck and stuff. So uh, yeah, next Dave. Yeah, Catherine M asked say about Xabi Alonso. Yeah, uh, that was also sent in by another fellow as well. If you want to sign oh, yeah, yeah. his, his name, Gabe, Dave. Uh, uh, no, you might have missed it off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, mate. <laughs> uh, I think I might have deleted it off. Sorry, mate. Um, a chore, choose your it was. All right. Oh, have we have we not already mentioned the Chore? Yeah, he's sent in two, I think. Yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry, Chore. Um, and I, in, in fairness, mate, I had to copy and paste our stuff over, so I think I've just lost you on the way. But <laughs> uh, Chore as well as Catherine uh, asked about Jabby Lonzo. 
Yeah, really interesting shout. I mean, it's interesting with Alonso because he's left Liverpool with a, as as gleaming as a reputation as you possibly could, really. But I think a lot of that stems from his final season at Liverpool and how Rafa tried to maybe get rid of him uh, for Gareth Barry when he uh, and the re- when Rafa tried to do that. It was because since Alonso came to Liverpool, his first few years. He, they weren't they, they weren't that great. Um I think he was okay. He was good. But his final season he just made, you know, what I was mentioned before, the leap type thing and just was a different level really. Um and then obviously from that onwards, plays for Real Madrid for a few years, plays for Bayern Munich under Pep. And he just looked like this absolute, you know, graceful, perfect playmaking midfielder from deep. So we've got a perfect reputation at Liverpool, but in terms of what he was for the first few years, he was just he was just alright, I think. Um until later in his career. I think he was a late late bloomer, Alonso. Yeah. It's a strange one, Josh. So I uh, I remember him being this really elegant. By the way, I if it looked like I got a little bit distracted, it wasn't because I wasn't interested in what you were saying, Josh. I've just spotted that most people will now know by the time they're listening to this, but it just happened on air, so we probably just quickly give a nod to it, that uh, Ashley Priest, who's like our Villa correspondent, has said that Steven Gerrard to Aston Villa is all but done. Um, Finalising backroom staff. So I'm glad, that, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we spoke about it the way we did. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Want to watch, but yeah, back to Xabi Alonso. Um, really really um strange one because he's looked back as you said as this like fantastic player and i think he was um but a lot of i've spoken to a lot of people who thinks maybe over time his his role and influence has been inflated a little bit have you heard comments like that josh like his importance um at liverpool yeah yeah just that he he was good, yeah, but yeah. he was never that good if that makes sense or he was but only periodically and not not necessarily week in, week out, like some would have you believe. Um, but his best, best assets, obviously, really, really good. But yeah, anyway, he was obviously he's somewhat of a become somewhat of a Liverpool cult hero a little bit, and wouldn't surprise me maybe if one day uh, we see him involved in the backroom staff at Liverpool. Obviously, I don't know whether it'd be manager. It could be, but it looks like someone like Gerard would maybe take that role uh, next after Klopp, but. Um, he's on his own kind of coaching career, isn't he? So maybe one day, either in the Liverpool dugout or perhaps with an opponent in Europe or something, we might we might see him back at Anfield. Yeah, I mean, he is doing really well as a coach. I think he's still at well associated. I think he's doing quite well. But yeah, in terms of his reputation in Liverpool, just generally, you do you do seem to get that when it comes to players of his type. You know, if you look at Pirlo, if you look at Scholes, just players like that, Javi maybe, players who... It was very, very graceful and just control the game and dictate. Thiago was another one from, from deep and things like that. They do generally just end up retiring with an absolutely brilliant um, reputation attached to them. Um, and their early careers tend to be forgotten. Not that they generally have bad early careers, but um, Xabi Alonso in particular was definitely like bloomer. And I think Liverpool saw the best of them at the end of his time at Liverpool, sadly. Uh, so, yeah, we'll move on to... Uh, Christopher Nkunku will go to. So he's been requested by Rumi Meyer. Uh, Nkunku's on form this season, Dave. 
Yeah, he's a, he's another player who tends to be if you're looking at the underlying numbers for you know players across Europe, he tends to be right up there. Um, you know, really good dribbler. Uh, you know, really underrated in terms of set pieces and things. Um, you know, it's a big contributor uh, in terms of just output. You know, in, in in the penalty area in the attack and third. Um, really kind of play who's pleasing on the eye and. Josh, is he still? Uh, let me see if I can bring it. He's still only 22, 23, isn't he? Uh, he's 23, yeah. 23, so still ready. He's 23, but 361 days. So he's going to be 24 very soon. By the oh, okay. I mean, 24 is still good, isn't it? Um, you know, still a really good age and um, exciting player. You know, obviously doing really well uh, over with Leipzig. And um, he, he he done quite well to kind of. Forged come back because obviously he was at was a PSG, uh, yeah. come through PSG, or I'm pretty sure, and it didn't quite work out. But uh, they've obviously swept in, and he's uh, he's doing very well over there, yeah, yeah. He looks like he's doing another one going down the route of making the leap type thing. Uh, but the numbers across the board are very, very good. Uh, incredibly creative player. Um, as you say, he's at RB Leipzig, a club that Liverpool tend to like to buy from. One issue I would attach with his profile is he doesn't score very often. So this season he scored five, which is good. And it's 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 definitely gonna be his best scoring season so far. So we'll see how much he ends up how many he ends up with. But last season he scored six, season before he scored five. Um generally posts more assists than goals. But yeah, looks like a really good player and I, I, I think he will be on Liverpool's radar. I think Liverpool will be keeping track of him. And um it's interesting, actually, because if you look at forwards and similar players to him, the most similar forward to him, apparently, according to the numbers that he posts, is Roberto Firmino. It's a sign. But, yeah, really, really good player, and I think he's he, he's having one of those seasons where you, you do absolutely pay attention to him, along with Rafinha, in my opinion, who's having another one of those seasons. So, could be a few of them Liverpool to consider in the summer. Hmm. Yeah, so uh, we, we will have to leave it there, mate. It's... Um, it's an episode that we've, we'll, we'll have to continue next week. We've still got loads of requests to get through, as usual, when it comes to this sort of thing. So next week when we return, we will speak about Arsenal, preview Arsenal, but we'll obviously get through the requests that we didn't get to this week. So um, anyone who wants to send in their request between now and next week, you know, have a chance using the links that are provided on the newsletter. Um, so, yeah, we'll have, to, we'll have to reconvene next week, Dave. Uh, but thanks for joining us, mate. Yeah, no, I'll be honest, I enjoyed it. And there's, a, there's still quite a good few ones to get through. So uh, it's going to make a good second episode. So, yeah, looking forward to it, mate. Yeah, so thanks for tuning in. And uh, we will see you next week. You've been listening to the Analyzing Anfield podcast on the Blood Red channel.